all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Isn't it interesting that we tend to forget the things we should remember and remember the things we should forget? There's a quote by Warren Wiersbe that says just that. I want to say it to you again. Let it sink in. Isn't it interesting that we tend to forget the things we should remember, but remember the things we should forget? I have a few examples in mind. Recently, me and my family, about a month ago, we were going out to dinner and really excited to go out. It was burger night at a, a local restaurant, so I'm like, I'm about to get after it. Burger night, here we go. Uh, so we pull up, and the parking lot's a little packed, so we find a parking spot trying to get in there, and uh, we get out of the car. You know, I got three kids now, so it, getting out of the car is an event in and of itself. Uh, so we're getting out of the car, we get, and we start to walk towards the restaurant, and my wife turns and looks at me, and she goes, babe, which, fellas, you know your wife has that look or that word or the combo that's like, uh-oh, what'd I do? <laughs> and so she looked at me, and it wasn't like, uh, you're in trouble. It was like, uh, hey, like, did you grab your wallet? Did you grab your keys? Did you grab your phone? And I'm like, patting myself down like the police search, you know what I mean? I'm like, what? I'm good. And she goes, the baby. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, I left my daughter in the car. My, like, again, she's like six weeks old at this point. My little girl, I was like, I forgot we had this child. I totally, literally in that moment, I'm like, and just, oh, I felt horrible. And I go in the back of my truck and my little daughter's just in her car seat, just staring off in oblivion. Just like, I'm like, I, I would have, you know, and thank God, you know, my wife was like, hey, grab the baby. And so we got her out and then we started laughing because, you know, it's one of those things that every parent has experienced something like that, right? And so again, something that I should have remembered, I forgot. Or I think about something that often comes to my mind that, man, I wish I could forget, like seventh grade, I got off the bus in middle school. I'll never forget. I was in the back of the bus. It pulls up to my house, and I hear a roar of laughter from the front all the way to the back. And I'm thinking, what, what's going on? I look out the left side of the bus, and what I see is a man who's on a lawnmower. Heavyset man, and nothing but see-through underwear. Uh, and he's got Converse on. Not Chuck Taylors. Those are trendy and cool. These are like the dorky-looking Converse uh, that people tried to play basketball in back in the day. And I'm like, who is that man? Oh, that's my father. That's my dad. <laughs> Cool. And it was this wave of embarrassment turned red. And I was like, man, I wish I could wipe that for a moment. Still to this day, I often remember that. And now it's funny and hilarious, but at the time was not so funny. So again, there's some funny examples of things, again, we tend to uh, forget that we should remember or remember that we should forget. But what happens when it's not funny anymore? What happens when this begins to play out in ways that are a little bit more serious, like when you forget the truth of God's word? And all you can think of are the lies that you've told yourself or that have been pummeled at you your entire life. Like what about in that moment where you feel like you're having a crisis of faith or you feel like the enemy's just doing overtime on you or man, you're just caught in patterns of your own flesh or your own like idiocracy if we're honest, right? Like what happens in those moments when you forget the truth of God's word and all you can remember are lies? And again, I think Peter has an understanding that this is a, a temptation of every human being. And so part of Peter's goal in writing this letter, part of God's goal in having Peter write this letter is to stir us up to remind ourselves of the truth that we should never forget. And part of actually remembering the truth of God's word is what happens is it allows you to forget those things you actually really should forget. Like there's lies that many of us have believed for maybe our entire lives that frankly aren't true and you actually need to forget. And by God's grace and your discipline, you can forget them. Like, God has chosen, if you're in Christ, to forget your sins. It's not because he has bad memory. It's not because he has a deficiency in his mind. 
It's because he's made a, a willing choice to say, I'm going to choose to no longer hold this against you. I'm going to forgive you of it. So who are we to continue to remember the sins that our God has chosen to forget? And so that's the goal that Peter is writing in this morning is to help us see that when we're neck deep in our own fears and anxieties or we are being deceived by demonic attacks or being fed false teaching, we must have a reason to remember. And so that's what I want to plead with us this morning, that Peter is making the cause and making the case in this passage today that we really do have a reason to remember the truth of God's word. So let's break it down. I want to walk you through kind of three things this morning, the what, the why, and the how. The what, the why, and the how. Let's look at the what here in verses 1, or excuse me, verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I intended always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these words. Here's the what this morning. Remembering the truth of God's word stirs us up to live forward in Jesus Christ. Remembering the truth of God's word stirs us up to live forward in Jesus Christ. Again, Peter is reminding them of the truth for a few reasons. Number one, they already know it. He says, look, you know this and you're established in it. So he's talking to people who know the gospel. He's talking to people who've been saved by Jesus. He's talking to people who have evidence of faith. They have fruit in their lives. And he's saying, look, you're in this and you know it and you're established in it. But I need to remind you why, because we're prone to forget. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to lose sight of, of the truth. And so again, part of what church should look like and part of what faith should look like is a constant reminder of truth. How often do we forget the simple reality is that God loves me. The truth that God's wrecked me with the past two and a half years is he actually likes me too. Can I tell you this morning, he likes you. Some of us are like, I know he loves me, he's got to, he's God. But then we're like, but I don't know if he can stand me though. No, he likes you. He's crazy about you. He made you in his image. He wants relationship with you. You don't drive him nuts. He's not like running out of patience. He's got more patience than you have irritability. I promise you. Read the Bible. <laughs> Chock full of people who test God's patience and he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so again, this is God's heart for us. And he, Peter is reminding them, look, I know you know this, but let me remind you. He also knows a very important fact that he reveals to us here that he's dying soon. Jesus comes to Peter and says, look, bro, your time's coming and here's how you're going. And for some of us, that seems scary, but what that actually does for Peter is it refines his purpose and reminds him of why he's here. So it gets all the distractions out of the way. Now he's laser-like focused. I got a short amount of time, and I know how I'm going, so I know what I need to get after and how much time I have to get after it. And so then he says, listen, I know my days are numbered, so I've gained a heart of wisdom, so I'm going to give all my effort to making sure these people remember the truth of what I've told them, which is why he writes this letter. Why he's writing to the churches and trying to lay the foundation before he exits this earth so that they would be reminded always. So that's why Peter is writing. He also is wanting to, again, make every effort possible for them to always know the truth so that it's always available to them. Think about God's grace and his kindness that he would make it possible for us to have a Bible that we have access to. So when you're struggling to remember truth, you can access it on your phone, your tablet, four different translations in paper. You can have an audio. Think about all the ways you can access God's word now. 
Because he, he wants you to know the truth. He wants you to be reminded. But we also see Peter here giving, again, kind of the purpose or the reason behind why he wants to remind them and he, why he wants them to remember it so they're stirred up. So that they're stirred up. I want to talk about that for just a moment. Stirred up. That's what he's saying. I want to stir you up by way of reminder. So it's not just, hey, regurgitate facts so you can uh, memorize it, so you can be a Bible-beating uh, you know, Christian. No, it's so that you're stirred up to have faith in action. And so what he's saying here is like, if, if I remind you of truth, what truth does is it stirs your heart, stirs your emotions, stirs your mind, stirs your affections for King Jesus. What does that word stir mean? In the original language, it actually means to wake up, to awaken, to arouse, to render active, to agitate. It's actually the same word we see when it's describing waves beginning to stir and form a storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's actually the same word we see used in, in when the disciples go to Jesus when he's on the boat taking a little snooze. It's the same word that, that when Jesus wakes up out of his snooze, out of his slumber, to then tell the storm to stop storming, that, that word where Jesus wakes up, that's to stir. So again, this morning, God wants to use his word to stir you up. Here's the reality, church. Remembering reawakens. Remembering reawakens. Recently, I sat down with my two older girls and my wife, and we re-watched our wedding video. We've been married for almost nine years. And man, what, a, what just, oh my, the flood of emotions. And to have my two little daughters who are like obsessed with princesses, to see my wife decked in beautiful gown, and to see their mom as like a real-life princess, like to watch it through the lenses of my daughters. I, I was a wreck. Pastor Jeff did my wedding video and hearing him say those words and just thinking about our relationship. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love Jeff Smith. And then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I love my wife. She's so amazing. And oh my gosh, my kids weren't even here yet. This is just wrecking me. But what it did is it reminded me of my love for my wife. It reminded me of how, I, like, I'll do anything for this woman. It made me proud of the legacy that God is rising up within the Gilbert family. Because for generations, the Gilbert family was known for their sin. And now the Gilbert family will be known for obedience in Christ. I mean, it did something for me to be reminded to, to look, thank God I have a beard now. I look like a baby back then. <laughs> like, well, how did she say yes to this dopey looking dude? Thank God I look a little better now. Like, you know what I mean? So it, it stirred things in me. It reawakened the love for my wife. We need to be reminded because reminders reawaken. It's like why we go back and watch sports highlights, right? It's why we go back and rehash conversations in the past. It's why we want to live in the glory days of high school. Whatever it is for you, again, there's something about remembering that reawakens. How much more so with the word of God? That we're reminded of truths that are eternal and concrete and never shifting or changing. How it should stir and reawaken our affections for him. So that's my prayer and my heart for you this morning, because that's God's heart for you this morning, that you would be reminded of his truth if you're in him, and that it would reawaken your passion for him. And if you're not in Christ, that you would look back on the legacy of the faith of, of, within Christianity and that it would stir you to give your life to him today. Again, that you would look at the faithfulness of God throughout all of human history and that it would lead you to submission in him. So that's the what. Let's look at the why. The why is this. We remember the truth of God's word because it's dependable and durable. It's dependable and durable. Verse 16 says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, listen, this isn't a hoax. This isn't a ruse. This isn't some made-up, mythical kind of fairy tale. This is real life action. This actually went down. And he's talking specifically about the power and coming of Jesus. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone else's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, Peter right here is making a case for why God's word is dependable and durable. It's dependable and durable. Let's talk about those words. Dependable, it's worthy of your trust. God's word is worthy of your trust, church. Can I remind you, if you're on the fence or not in Christ, let me plea with you for a moment. God's word can handle your questions. God's word can handle your doubt. He is a big boy. He can handle himself. He is worthy of your trust. His word is too, because his word reveals his heart. It's durable. It's able to withstand. Did you realize, like, Throughout human history, people have tried to eradicate the Bible from the planet. And in this point in human history, it's more available than it's ever been. So what they tried to do to stop it is actually multiplied its availability. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of like God is up to something. It's kind of like God knows what he's doing. It's durable. It can outlast. It can withstand. It, it can take the heaviness and blows that life throws at it. It can take you. Some of us like don't go to God's word because we think we're too messy for it. Lie. God's word is for messy. God's word brings holiness and righteousness to where there wasn't at a point. Again, God's word, God himself is compelled to go into the darkness and bring light. He's compelled to go into the messy and bring cleanliness and holiness and righteousness. That's who he is and what he's about. It's durable. We see, again, Peter making this case that it's not a cleverly devised myth, but it's an eyewitness account of God's majesty. So again, Peter goes to the moment where him and Jesus and some other disciples were on the mountain at what we call the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. This is found in the Gospels. So if you're taking notes, it's found in Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9, and Luke chapter 9. We see this story go down where Peter and Jesus and other disciples were there on the mountain, and they witnessed Jesus in all of his glory. It's supposed to actually bring us back to when Moses was on the mountain receiving the words from the Lord. It's like Moses had nothing on this right here, Jesus. And so they saw something in Jesus that helped them understand this really is the God-man. They heard words from God the Father audibly say, this is my son. He is well-pleasing to me. So again, Peter witnessed that. He watched that go down. He didn't hear it through word of mouth. He saw it with his own two eyes. So that's why he's saying, listen, it's not a myth. It's not a cunning trick. I really watched this happen. I saw Jesus. I saw him before the Father. I saw the Father pour out his love on his son and speak words of life over his son. I saw it with my own two eyes. And so again, it's not something that we hope is true. We know it's true because it was through eyewitnesses. Eyewitness accounts have merit. Right, if you've been in a court case or you've been around or you've watched Judge Judy online, right? Like, you know that eyewitnesses matter. 
And eyewitnesses have more credibility than someone who just heard it through the grapevine. So again, Peter has credibility because he watched it happen with his own two eyes. Church, we're not following some clever myth. And if you're not in Christ, can I, can I tell you the truth? You are following a myth. And you're like, well, I don't follow other religions. Well, maybe you're the religion you're following, which is not a good one, therefore it's a myth. Like some of us follow this myth called, called the Disney kind of ideology or the Disney religion, which sounds like this, follow your heart. It's a terrible idea. Your heart is deceitful. And in Christ, you've been made new and your heart is actually moving towards Jesus, but you following your heart is a bad idea. Follow Jesus. Again, some of us are following other ways of life that give us power, give us authority, but it's really enslaving and in bondage that we find ourselves. So, man, can I plead with you, like, follow Jesus because he's not a cleverly devised myth. There's eyewitness accounts of his majesty. The second thing Peter is saying, he's saying there's these prophecies of Christ and they have been confirmed and they shine like a lamp in a dark place. And he actually says, you should pay attention to these prophecies. That's what he's saying. Like all of these prophecies about Jesus and his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, and the ones that have yet to be fulfilled, we can trust they will be because all the other ones have been. But he's saying, listen, pay attention to these prophecies. Look at how specific they were. Look at how Jesus crossed every T and dotted every I. Because that should stir something in you. It's interesting when you actually look into how unlikely it is that somebody could actually fulfill these prophecies. Like maybe you've heard these, these stats before, but what it's supposed to do, again, is it's supposed to be a light in a dark place. It's supposed to, uh, to guide your faith and to give you hope. But, but there's over 330 30 prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled. Like some scholars kind of differ on that, but they're all well over 300, Okay. So at least 330 of them. To fulfill eight of these prophecies would be one, uh, the, the probability would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a massive number. That's the equivalent of taking the state of Texas, putting silver dollars two feet high across the entire state and hoping that one of those quarters would be the right one or one of those silver dollars would be the right one that you happen to, to pick up and it's, it's the one. Again, the probability is insane. No, no one human could have done that, unless he's the God-man. That's just eight. I also did some more research. To fulfill 48 of these prophecies, again, 48, which is a little bit more than eight, but not nearly close to 300. It's one and 10 to the 157th power. Massive number. I was like, what does that even mean? I literally, I'm like, Google, what is this number? And you wanna know Google's response? Let me read it to you. This number has no other name because it is absolutely never gonna come up and nobody ever has had to work with it. There are more than the, this is more than the number of cubic centimeters and subatomic particles in the observable universe. There's not a name for this number. No one's ever had to deal with it. it I read a thing that said it would, ha, it would take you 19 million times 19 million times 19 million years if you counted at the rate of 250 numbers per minute to get there. Are you, are you, is your head hurting? It should. He, here's my point. Unless the Messiah was really Jesus, he could not have fulfilled these prophecies, but he fulfilled every single one of them. He is the God-man. He is the God-man. And as we look to these prophecies and we see the beauty of God in it and the intricacy and the detail, it should stir up your faith to say, man, if, if Jesus can fulfill every prophecy, 
And the, the probability of that is like a number I can't even fathom. And what makes me think you can't deal with my stuff too? What makes me think that if Jesus can't fulfill all these prophecies, that he can't actually heal me of my illness, that he can't save me from my sins, that he can't move me through this hardship, that he can't save the person in my life who I love so much. Like whatever your problem is, it's no match for our king. So Peter is saying, listen, look at these prophecies. Let them stir you up and stir up your faith. This is the assurance of who Jesus is. And it guides us like a lamp until he returns again. Do you see that imagery there? Like the, this prophetic word of God is, is a light to our dark world. It's what guides us, it's what leads us, it's what gives us hope, it's what gives the world hope. It's what's reminding us that he's coming back and helps us stay on the straight and narrow until the day dawns and the sun arises where Jesus comes back and we get to look at him face to face and we get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you allow the word of God to stir you in that way? Peter's also saying these prophetic words are produced by the Holy Spirit through men. I love that Peter makes a very clear distinction here. It's not up to man's interpretation. It's up to God. It's not produced by the will of humans. It's actually men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The language here is interesting. The image that would conjure up in their heads would be that of a sailboat or a ship on the sea. And you raise the sails and the wind fills them and it carries the boat. So he's saying, listen, humanity are the sails. Holy Spirit is the wind. The wind fills the sails and carries the boat along. So again, these prophecies that were written by human hands were actually human hands that were filled by the Spirit of God, the wind of God blowing on the sails of human hands that would pin these prophecies. So really, again, who gets credit for the, the boat moving? The wind. Did it use the sails? Absolutely. But if the wind doesn't move, the boat ain't moving. And so for us, as we look at the Word of God and we're like, well, is that God or is that man? Like, it's, it's God. But he loves to use humanity. That's actually God's favorite way of doing things. He created us in his image to use us to move his mission forward. For us to partner and be partakers in this with him. And think about the beauty of being, being used by God, that God gets to get his job accomplished and you get to play a part. Think about like a, a son in the garage with his father. And really the dad's doing all the work. Dad, hand me the wrench. That's not a wrench, son. Okay, um, can you, can you hand me a wrench? No? Okay. But, but the son is with his dad, and he's smiling ear to ear, and the dad's happy to be with the son, but the dad's doing the work, right? And so God gets to use you and me to accomplish his will because that gives him joy, and that gives you joy as well. Church, God's word is dependable and durable. Peter is making the case here, and so because it is, man, we should remember it. We should put our full weight on it. We should stand firm in it. We should use it the way we're called to use it. We should long for and hunger to get in it and let it change us. I often pray for our church, read the word of God and let it read you. Let it cut you open. Let it do heart surgery. Let it refine your character. Let it make you more like Jesus because it's really good at doing that. So if the word of God is calling us to remember so it stirs us up and we can really rely on it because it's dependable and durable. The question now is how? How do we do this? And I would love to answer that for you. We remember the truth of God's word by resting in it. By resting in it. I want to break down this word rest and use it as a four-part acronym to help you understand how we can rest in God's word. Now, in this acronym, what we're about to break down are some things that we have to do 
that we have to participate in, that we have to be disciplined in to actually work out our, our salvation and our faith with fear and trembling. But the acronym says rest. Can I just be honest? Like, there's irony in that. Hey, we're going to rest in God's word by doing these things. But here's a lie that our culture's bought, and maybe you've bought it too, that, that rest comes from the absence of work. It's actually not the truth. To find rest, it actually takes work sometimes. Like, have you ever gone on vacation and needed a vacation from your vacation? All the parents with little kids said, amen. Because we think that if I just detach and I veg out or I just get in front of the TV or I zone out in front of social media or I unplug a little bit and don't do anything with my mind or my my body, then I'm going to find rest. And, And actually, you get exhausted because you're made to be engaged with the Lord. And so all these things that we're going to list out here are not so you can earn God's approval, but we're working because Jesus has earned God's approval for you. Massive difference. In other words, you're not working for your identity. You're working from your identity. But don't get it twisted. We have a part to play. God wants you and I to engage with him. And so how do we find rest in him? Well, we have to do some stuff. It's not legalism. It's not uh, religious. It's not heaping things on top of the word of God. It's actually working out, again, the truth that God calls us to work out. So here's how we rest in God's word. Number one, recall it. Recall it. Bring it back to mind. Bring it back to mind. And here's why. Before I even get into that, I want to tell you why you need to do these things. Again, so you can find rest in him, but rest from what? And rest from your fear, rest from your pride, rest from your anxiety, rest from your depression, rest from your perfectionism, rest from your people-pleasing, rest from your rage, your legalism, insecurity, condemnation, your loneliness, selfishness, lust, bitterness, foolishness, jealousy, rejection. I just named a few. So if you want rest from those things, if you want to find rest in yourself from those things and find true life in Jesus, you'll put these things into practice. Number one, recall. The idea here is to bring back to mind. Think back to last week, that passage Ben taught on, verse 9 said, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. It's a warning, but it's, it's a statement of truth here. Like, if we don't put these things into practice, then we we are nearsighted and blind, and we've forgotten that we've actually been saved. He's not saying you're not saved. He's just saying you've forgotten, and so you live like you've forgotten. This is why we must recall the truth of God's word. One of the, uh, like, children in the baby dedication, one of the verses that, that was actually prayed over them was Deuteronomy 6, where God actually tells his people to, like, write this stuff all over the place. Like, write it on the frontlets of your body, like write it on your doorpost, put it everywhere so you don't forget because we're prone to forget. So let's talk about some examples of how you can recall the truth of God's word. This is where you have a lot of creative freedom. And we're getting God can use technology and a lot of our creativity to remind ourselves of the truth of God's word. Some of you love paintings. Like I have a friend who comes to our church and he's just it's like this 26-year-old dude who's like super interesting, and I find him just a fascinating brother. And he loves like old school painting because it stirs his affection for Jesus. And on Instagram recently, he posted this, these pictures, these famous pictures of like the journey of life through this like beautiful scene of this little boy growing to an old man sailing on a ship into heaven. I was like, my goodness, that just stirred my heart. I watched it through Instagram, let alone what it would have done had I saw it in real life. So maybe some of you need to put some artwork up in your house that stirs your affections to remind you that God is much bigger than you are and your problems. So maybe it's through, through art. 
Maybe it's through daily rhythms in God's word. Can I just plead with you to get in God's word daily? Not to check it off of the box, but so that you can get to know his heart. Here, hear me out, church. Some of us are in this room and we know God's word front, back, and sideways, and we're miserable. How's that possible? Because you know the word of God, but you don't know the God of the word. And the word of God is always meant to get you to the God of the word. God's word is funky and weird and doesn't make sense if you don't know his heart. But it's beautiful and life-giving and true and it anchors you and it changes lives and it transforms if you know his heart. The reason God gave you his word, the reason you have access to it is so you can know his heart. Do you know it? Do you know it? And would you commit to getting in God's word daily, not just so you can get through your daily devotion and check it off on the Bible app and post it on social media and make yourself look better than everybody else, but so that you can actually know this God who made you and created you for his glory. Would you commit to getting in God's word daily and commit to knowing his heart? And if you're wondering, like, where do I start? Can I encourage you? Get in the book of John. Because John is going to teach you about Jesus and how supreme he is. And you're going to see the views and angles of Jesus' life and his heart and the way he does things. And it's going to make him look supreme like he really is. And you're going to get to see God's heart. Man, put it on your screensaver. If you have a computer at work or at home, put a verse that you want to memorize literally as your background. Like, do it on your phone. I remember when I first got saved, I would print out, I was telling someone this the other day, I would print out these verses that I wanted to memorize and I would just tape them all over my wall. It had no rhyme or reason. It looked like a crazy person took over my room. They weren't even, they weren't in frames. I just duct taped them to the wall. I probably pulled the paint off. I don't care. I wanted to know God's word and I wanted it in me. And so I just was printing off, the ink would run out and it would just, literally just verses I wanted to memorize. And every time I would look at my walls, I would just spend time just staring at the walls and trying to memorize scripture. Now, I remember when I was an intern here, I actually tried to memorize the book of Philippians. And there was this very, like, like rigid process that at first seemed very grueling, but actually very freeing. And, and I ended up memorizing, like, three chapters of Scripture. Like, would you commit to memorizing the Word of God? That you would hide it in your heart that you might not sin against Him? Would you memorize His Word? Would you hang it around your house? Would you put it in your office, your car? Would you listen to music that recites God's truth? Like, can, can I just like take a shot at Christian music for a minute? If Christian music is more about you than it is Jesus, you might want to change it. Maybe you're listening to Christian music, but it's about you and your misery and your mess and your you and you and you. And you're like, oh, this doesn't make me feel good because you focus too much on you. <laughs> Listen to the truth of God's word in music that reminds you of the greatness of who he is, what he's done, what he can do, that he's faithful in and he's definitely faithful now. It's a little tease for what's coming your way in the next song. But seriously, remind yourself of the truth of God's word in song. Song has, music has a way of doing something to your brain and your heart that, that very few things do. So would you listen to music, even if they don't have lyrics? Like some of my favorite music to listen to are instrumentals. Because it declares the creativity of God. It's able to tell stories and narratives. You're able to dream and have imaginations about the glory of God. What would happen if your imagination got recaptured by the glory of God? Or some of us go to sleep at night with nightmares. Or thinking about the past things that have happened to us and we feel like we'll never be free. God can redeem your mind. And he can cause you to dream again in the best way. And would you allow his word to recapture your imagination? 
audio Bible, that's a great way too. If you're on a commute, if you're heading down to Baltimore and you're like, dang man, this traffic's crazy, put on the audio Bible. It's hard to get angry in traffic when God's word is washing over you. I'm not saying it's impossible, I'm saying it's gonna make it harder. (laughs) Would you allow the word of God to wash over you in that way? And get around other people and recite God's word together. Pray the word of God. If you don't know how to pray, start with the word of God. Go to the book of Psalms. It's to teach you how to pray. Just start quoting it. Just start saying it back to God and watch what he does. And again, one of my, one of my biggest things that I advocate for is preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Remind yourself of the truth of the gospel, that there is a God in heaven and he is holy and he is like no other. And he created all things for himself, by himself, and they're, they're, all things were made for him. And in that, the crescendo of his creation is you and me. We are made in his image to have relationship and communion with him. And we chose to do things our way. And when we did so, sin entered in and it fractured and separated us from God. And it caused sin to enter in and death was the result. And God in his goodness was too good to sit on the sidelines of our sin. He hopped into the game and he dealt with it. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see testimonies and prophecies of one to come who will crush the head of the serpent. And we see in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word came and he dwelt among us. Jesus came and put skin on and he hung out with us and he taught with authority. He taught truth and he lived a life of perfection, performing miracle after miracle, casting out demons, causing dead people to come back to life, telling storms to sit down and take a seat. Also that people would listen to him as he preached the good news of the kingdom. And his life was a pathway towards his death where he gladly, as a volunteer, not a victim, went to the cross to deal with your sin and mine. He stood in your place as you for your sin and took on the full wrath of God. And three days later, hopped about the grave, kept your sin in it, and rose to victory. And he's seated at the right hand of his father right now. And he is coming back, blood dipped on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth with fire. That is the gospel. And you know why I'm passionate and can recite it to you without looking at notes? Because I tell it to myself every day. I don't do it always just like that. I don't look in the mirror and say, ouch, you need to hear the gospel. And then I yell at myself. I don't do that. (laughs) Some days I need to. But mostly it's, it's through the reading of God's word, through hearing songs, through all the things I listed off to you, creative ways to remind myself of the truth. Would you recall God's word? Would you make a habit of it today? E, exercise. Exercise. Put it into action. James chapter 1, 23 calls us to be doers of the word, not hearers. In fact, it says, if you're just a hearer, not a doer, you've deceived yourself. You played yourself, seriously. Like you, you, think you're, you think you've got it down, but you're not because you just listen, you don't do. Jesus also says some very sobering things like, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? In other words, you can't call him Lord and not do what he says. And so again, we have to be people who exercise our faith. One of the things Jeff brought up in our meeting around this message, he said, we are more likely to remember God's truth if we have a reference point of obedience. That's good. That's really good. You're more likely to remember God's truth if you have a reference point of obedience. Do you have a reference point of obedience, church? I think of examples in my own life. I think of when we first started to plant zeal and uh, we had an office in the city. And what we did is we always had food available in my office. So I'd look out the window if I saw somebody who uh, looked like they were in need or who was sleeping out on the bench, I would just go run food down to him. I saw a guy one time, his name was Robert. And I saw him and God's like, hey, I want you to give him that food and your jacket. I said, excuse me? He's like, you heard me. I said, okay. So I went downstairs, 
I argued with God all the way down there. And I get out there and he's like, are you going to do what I said? I said, okay, I'll do it. So I, I go to give him the food and I was trying to look for, again, a way out, if I'm honest. And I said, hey, Robert, like, you need anything else, brother? We got this food. He's like, man, I'm really cold. I was like, okay, God, for real? For real? Okay. It's like, all right, man, here you go. Here's my jacket. I took my jacket off. I handed it to him. He started weeping. He's like, man, no one's ever done anything like that for me before. In that moment, I'm like, oh, literally, oh, my God, I am so sorry. You tried to tell me. I argued. I was still resistant, and you were still gracious. Man, when I'm, I'm tempted to doubt God or when I'm questioning if I hear him, I think back to moments like that. I have countless ones of them where God went, like, worked overtime to remind me of the truth. Do you have a reference point for obedience? I, I don't know how that changed Robert's life, but I know it changed mine. It made me want to obey God more. Do you have a reference point for obedience? Would you put your faith into action today, church? Would you repent of your sin? That's how some of you need to put your faith into action today. There's a sin that has a stronghold in your life and that you have not let go of and you've lied about for years and today's the day you need to let go. You need to actually repent of your sin. It's scary, but it's freeing. Would you repent? Would you forgive the person that's wronged you? Somebody has offended you deeply and you have not forgiven them. You can, you should, today's your day. Pray for your enemy. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Jesus would never tell you to do something you can't do. He tells you, he commands you to pray for your enemy. If you couldn't do it, he wouldn't ask it of you. You can. The power of Holy Spirit in you is more than able. Get the log out of your own eye before you start to take the speck out of somebody else's. Hello. Would you start today by stop judging other people for a moment and get the mess out of your own eyes so that you can help a brother or sister get the speck out of theirs? Would you reach out to the person God keeps putting on your heart? Maybe every time you're in this building, you're like, dang it, this person's mind and face keep, like, or this person's name and face keep coming to my mind. Pray for them. Reach out to them. Send them a text right now. Get out your phone if it's you. Like, let the Holy Spirit lead you. And we're not judging you. Get out your phone and text them. Hey, can we talk? Hey, can, can we grab coffee? Hey, you want to come over this afternoon? Like, like, reach out to someone in your life that keeps coming to mind. Give sacrificially of your time, treasure, and talents. Give to the point that it hurts. God is worthy of your sacrifice. Get into God's word with your spouse and your kids. You may not feel like you know enough. You know enough to open up the word of God, to read it with your children and to talk about it and your wife or your, your husband. Five minutes a day, start there. Get into God's word with your family. Consider your trials as a gift. Would you start to be kind to people, fight for purity, value integrity, humble yourself, consider others more significant? Would you actually have the courage to call out a brother or sister in your life who's walking in sin? One of the most loving things you and I can do as followers of Jesus is when we see somebody who says they're in Christ walking in sin is to rebuke them in love with the intent to restore. Would you have the courage to do that? That's putting your faith into action. That's exercising your faith. S, submit. Yield to the authority of. God's word is the ultimate authority. When culture try to tells, tells you otherwise, when your heart tries to tell you otherwise, when other Christians try to tell you otherwise, God's word does not change. It is sovereign and supreme, and we submit to it. It does not submit to us. Isn't that good? Just think about how many times your emotions change in this service alone. You went from happy to hungry in five seconds. 
And so if it was based on you, it would be changing every, every 0.5 seconds. God's word is everlasting, and so we submit to it gladly. Submission equals obedience. So you want to know how you're submitted to it? You do what I just said in the E, exercising it. But another way we can do this submitting to the word of God is to renounce lies and to announce truth. Some of you have been walking through this freedom in Christ stuff that we've been, you guys have been doing here at Grace. It's beautiful, amazing. It's teaching you some amazing ways on how to submit to the word of God. To renounce lies and to announce truth. This is a huge spiritual discipline we need to continue to grow in, to renounce lies and announce truth. I heard this quote recently. It's literally wrecking me right now. Spiritual warfare is not a battle of power. It's a battle of truth. Satan is not dumb enough to try to play a power game with you and me. If you have Holy Spirit in you, you will dominate Satan in the face because greater is he in you than he is in the world. Satan doesn't play the power game. He plays the lie game. Did he really say, though, man, you ain't forgiven. You realize how jacked up your past is? Man, like, you're not as good as that person. And I know you read your Bible last week, but and you haven't read it since last week. Again, Satan is crafty and cunning, and he's smart enough to know that, again, he's not going to play the power game. He's going to play the lie and truth game. He's going to overwhelm you with lies so that you don't use your power because you can't discern lies from the truth. And so part of submitting is to, again, renounce the lies and to announce the truth. But some of us have been so enslaved to lies that the truth sounds too scandalous to be true. I'm here to lovingly declare to you today the truth is true and Satan is a liar. And the lies will not uphold. To renounce means to formally claim one's abandonment of. And have you formally claimed your abandonment of the lies that have been spoken over you? that you've spoken over yourself, that maybe your parents spoke over you, maybe someone who was supposed to care for you and nurture you spoke nothing but evil lies to you? Have you detached yourself from those things? It's a spiritual practice that you and I should put into play. So maybe you're in here and you're like, I'm a sinner. No, the Bible says you're a saint in Christ. If you're in Christ, your identity is no longer a sinner. You are a saint who sometimes sins. It's not semantics, it's identity. You are a saint in Christ. You're worthless. No, you're not. You were bought with a price. And that price was oh so costly as the blood of Christ. Every drop bought you. You're not worthless. You're priceless. You are a mistake. Here's, here's the, that's the lie. Here's the truth. God doesn't make mistakes, and he sure didn't start with you. God's not like, ah, messed up on that one. We'll get better next time. No, it's not how he rolls. You are guilty. If you're in Christ, no, you're not. You're forgiven but I just sinned. You're not guilty. That sounds scandalous. I know it's the truth. In Christ, you're forgiven. Let, let, let that blow your mind. Let that change you. Let that wash you new. Let that stir you up. You've sinned too much. You cannot sin the cross of Jesus Christ. There is more grace than you have capacity to sin. That's not an invitation to sin. That's an invitation to repent. Would you do so? You can't forgive that person for what they've done to you. Yes, you can. Forgiveness is a choice, and in Christ, you are more than capable of making it. It might be hard. It might cost you everything. You can forgive. I'm speaking to somebody today. You need to forgive that person who hurt you, but I can't. Yes, you can. It's a choice. Part of forgiving is actually taking the blunt of the blow on yourself the same way Christ did for you. And if you understand how much you've been forgiven from, it becomes far easier to forgive someone who's offended you. Because I promise you this, you've offended God way more than anybody's ever offended you. 
Let that truth wash over you and make it easier for you to forgive. You are what you've done. No, you're not. You are what he's done. You are alone. Literally, there's nowhere you can go where he's not. You might feel alone. You're not alone. You can't forgive yourself for what you've done. This is for somebody. Who are you to think you can't forgive yourself? If Jesus says he's forgiven you, you have no place to withhold forgiveness from yourself. If his word is authoritative and it says that there's nothing that's beyond the blood of Christ, who are you to not forgive yourself if he's forgiven you? Satan is too powerful. No, he's not. He's no match for King Jesus. His head's been crushed. Would you live like it's true? Will you renounce the lies today and announce the truth of God's word? Final one, trust. To rely upon and to place confidence in. To put your full weight on it. I, the most simple analogy that we can go to is if you have trust in something, you act upon it, right? Like if I trusted a chair was going to hold me up and I just talk about how great it is and how the structure is so sound and awesome and it's blue and it's cushiony and it's got four legs. No, you know I trust it when I sit in it. We know you trust God if you're going to put your full weight on him and rely on him even in the hardest of times. Here's my final plea to us, Grace. He is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your trust because he is greater. If you have not been listening, perk up. Look at me right now. He is greater. Let me show you what he's greater than. He's greater than your idols. He's greater than your functional saviors. He's greater than your fear, your failures, your insecurities. He's greater than your inadequacies. He's greater than your unrealistic expectations. He's greater than your doubts, your stubbornness, your apathy, your ignorance, and your stupidity. He's greater than your insensitivity, abortion, witchcraft, racism, divination, strongholds, the government, new age practices, generational curses, other religions. All those things bow to his name. Can I keep going? Good news. I'm going to keep going. Rebellion, your feelings, praise God, he is better than your feelings. The bottle, the blunt, the pill, pornography, homosexuality, unbiblical heterosexuality. I'm coming after everybody. Perfectionism, hypocrisy, control, neglect, bitterness, laziness, your bank account, bills. All bow to him. I ain't done. Your family member that took advantage of you. Your dark past. The physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the childhood trauma your feelings of hopelessness, your need to know everything, your fear of your own kid's future, your fear of your own future, rejection, your spouse who isn't pulling their weight right now, your guilt, your fickle commitment, your needs, your desires, dreams, deconstruction, your future goals, your intellect or lack thereof, your age, your experience, your hesitancy, your body type, your father wounds, your mother wounds, your job, your annoying coworker, your house, your car, what you wear, your social status, and the insensitive and untrue words that were spoken over you out of ignorance in your past that you're still holding on to. He is greater than the girl you can't get over, than that boy you're obsessed with, than your opinions, your pain, your broken heart, your hardened heart, your hobbies. Your medical diagnosis, your disappointments, your eating disorder, that was for somebody. Your smothering parents, your absent parents, your failures as a parent, he is greater. The child that you've lost, the child that's still here, but it feels like you've lost them. Your mental health, suicide, bows at the name of Jesus. The trash media you still won't stop consuming, he's greater. Social media, your need to be right 
A worldwide pandemic bows to the name of Jesus. We plant churches in pandemics, people. That's what we do. War, sports, your shame that's triggered from this list, your frustration that was triggered from this list, sin, Satan, demons, darkness, evil, and even death itself. Jesus is greater. Would you trust him today? He's greater, church. Would you recall? Would you exercise? Would you submit and trust? This is possible because of our victory in Jesus. Choose today to forget what you should no longer remember and remember what is truly too good to forget. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for stirring our affections by way of reminder. God, I pray that people would take steps of obedience tangibly right now in Jesus' name. Whether they need to sing and shout, whether they need to get on their hands and feet or hands and knees and pray and cry out, if they need to send a text or make a phone call, God, that you would lead us, Holy Spirit, stir our obedience to the word. Thank you, Jesus, that you're too good to let us forget. May we always remember who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.